who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your, Your Angry, Angry Neighborhood, Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is the podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And this week we're doing something really fun and interesting and something that has been on my list to do since we first started this podcast. And that what is... What are we doing? Problematic faves. We've done a problematic fave, haven't we? No. Yes, we have... We've done Disney as a problematic fave, but we have not done people who are problematic faves. Oh, you're right. And this all came about, I think it became really popularized a while ago. There was a Tumblr or something. I think it started on Tumblr where someone started an account that was called Your Fave as Problematic. Yeah. Where they basically just popped your bubble about like everyone that you love and how like, like, no, how they're they're problematic. And then they started a really popular Instagram um, called Your Fave as Problematic. And so I was like, you know what, that's a really interesting thing to talk about because they can still be your fave. Yep. You can still enjoy the art. You just have to realize what the story behind it is and make your own, draw your own lines and conclusions. Right. I mean, and there's good stuff with the bad stuff. Of course. You know, it's just kind of taking off those, um, those blinders to the fact that like people that you love are not perfect. Well, I'm going to burst a major bubble today and then I'm going to try to like repair that bubble a little at the end. Okay, I might do mine in reverse order. Okay, that's fine. Okay, good. Um, also, I just wanted to mention the fact that none other than my mom is sitting right yes, behind me. Liz! Liz is here! <laughs> she's over there. She's she's going to crochet soon. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> she's living her best life watching us record. I think this is her lifetime dream realized. <laughs> okay, so today I'm going to talk about none other than Mr. John Lennon. Ah. Oh. He, I think we all remember whenever we discovered that John Lennon wasn't as great as we thought he was. Yeah. There's I, definitely a MySpace picture of me that I can probably find wearing a John Lennon t-shirt with a lot of eyeliner on. Yeah. Like, I loved John Lennon. Yeah, I'm wearing my Beatles shirt right yeah. now. I'm a huge Beatles fan. I've been a huge Beatles fan since I was six years old, and my mom bought me the Sgt. Pepper CD because I danced to it in dance class. That's a good album. But my favorite was Ringo when I was little, which I think is every kid's favorite. That is so favorite. funny. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. 
um, T loves Ringo. That is so funny. I don't yeah. know. I don't know because it's... he's cute and little and he's goofy. Yeah, kids he, really he bangs like Ringo. On things. Yeah, he yeah. The kids like Ringo. And then when I was in high school, I got really into John Lennon. Um, As did because, everyone in high school. Right. Like, I because feel like that he's was... got this cool... He's cool, and he's got this, like, very spiritual thing going on. Although George was definitely the most spiritual. More spiritual. I didn't learn about a lot of this stuff until I was out of high school. The thing but about... I, yeah. Yeah, I started reading about John Lennon when I was in high school and listening to, like, his solo stuff. Yeah, the thing about John Lennon is, like, honestly, if he went to high school with you... He probably was insufferable. You know, like he's like one of oh, those people who like he was, moralizes all the time. And, he was for sure insufferable. And but he, as a teenager, I was like, I'm really into all of this. Of like, course, yeah. He's angsty. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna kind of get into first why he was a little bit angsty, why he is the way that he is. So he was born John Winston Lennon because okay, so he was born on October 9th, nineteen forty, in Liverpool, Lancashire. So like Winston England. Churchill. Yes. Yeah. He was he was named after the Prime Minister, and he was named. John after his father's father who uh, they called Jack his parents were Julia and Alfred Alfred was an Irish merchant marine and was often away from home and Julia was kind of like a party gal she was a little bit flaky <laughs> a little like not very maternal um, loved John very much but as soon as Alfred kind of like went away she would start like dating other guys and she was with this one guy and moved John in with them. Wait, so Alfred went where? He was part of, like, the Marines. Oh, okay. So, so he, he would was travel like, a lot. And he right. kind of, and, like, he would send checks for a while, and then, like, the checks, like, stopped coming. So, so he was the, just, like, deuces? Bye. Well, he comes back later on. Like, he tries to come back into their lives, and, like, but he's he's really flaky, too. Like, both of his parents are, like, too young, too immature, probably weren't really planning on having kids. Like, were not suitable parents. So... John moves in with Julia and this guy and his Aunt Mimi, who's, like, very, like, uh, conservative, very religious, is like, you're living in sin, you know, your son is living with this man who's not his father and you're sleeping with him. So she actually calls social services on them twice. Well, it was, what, the 40s? It was the 40s. Yeah. So Julia eventually gave John to Mimi, gave her custody of John. So Mimi was actually more John's mother than Julia ever was. There were times, you know, when Julia would want John back and Mimi would always kind of, like, fight against it to really protect him. But John was very um, infatuated by his mother. In fact, a new thing that I learned was that there have been reports of an inappropriate sexual relationship between John and Julia. Yes. According to a leaked audio diary, this is the quote, I was just remembering the time I had my hand on my mother's tit in Bloomfield Road. It was when I was about 14. I took the day off school. I was always doing that and hanging out at her house. We were lying on the bed and I was thinking, I wonder if I should do anything else. I always think I should have done it, presuming she would have allowed it. Now, some people say that's not John. Some people, you know, but I read this on multiple sites. It's not 100% clear if this was true or not. Um, But but John did have a bit of an Oedipal thing with his mom because of the way that he picked women later. How old was she when she had him? I think she was fairly young. I don't remember the exact age. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was very, like, 
funny and carefree and cool. Like, she gave John his first guitar, and, like, Aunt Mimi was very strict. Didn't want him playing music, didn't want him hanging out with certain people. So they had more of, like, a a brother-sister relationship almost. Kind of, yeah. It was weird. They were friendly with each other, you know? And Julia died unexpectedly by being hit by a car when John was only 17 years old. Oh, wow. A really great movie to watch is Nowhere Boy. It's on Netflix, and it's about John's um, life before the Beatles. It Mm -hmm. kind of ends with him meeting Paul and George. So I think I'd heard about that, but I've never seen it. It's pretty good. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, and it shows the dynamic between Julia and John really well. So then he, uh, he starts the Beatles. He's 15 years old. It starts as the Quarrymen. John meets Paul. They become besties. Paul recommends his buddy George. He's only 14 at the time. Like they're really young. Mm-hmm. Their friends Stu Sutcliffe, Pete Best. They become the Beatles in 1960. Ringo joins. Um. And during this time, like, they're all kind of, you know, starting their little romantic flings. Well, John meets this woman named Cynthia Powell when he was in, like, an arts college school. And they were in a calligraphy class together. And he would, like, always, like, forget his stuff. And, like, Cynthia would, like, lend him, like... Forget his stuff, Right, exactly, Like, he forgot it on purpose so he could talk to her. Okay. And um, it is well documented that he was, that he hit her a lot. Yeah. And, um, I mean, he he's admitted it many times. Cynthia's talked about it many times. Apparently, one time she was dancing with Stu Sutcliffe, which was one of the members of the Quarrymen, beginning of the Beatles, and John hit her because she was dancing with him and then wrote the song Jealous Guy. Uh, they got shotgun married because he got her pregnant, and when they got married, he invited Brian Epstein, their manager, on the honeymoon. Why? Like, Cynthia and John were never alone together. They were never it was always a beetle around. There was always other people around. They would go on they would go on vacation and I don't then, understand. And George and his wife would be there, you know. The like, older I get, the more I'm just like, why were you in a relationship in the first place? They like were, it's pretty obvious you didn't even were, like each other. They were very young. Well, this is the thing. Cynthia was like his mom. Like, she was his emotional support. Oh, uh, have we all John, been there? Right. Like, when you're, like, Where someone you you're dating. Like, completely emotionally support yeah. someone. So, John is, like, he has the biggest ego in the world, yet when yeah. he's by himself, he's like, but continue to tell me how great I am because I still really want to hear it. Like, it's she deep, had deep to, insecurity. Right. Yeah. Along with ego, which is, you know, dangerous. So, she would constantly have to have to be bringing him up. You know, she went to, she was in an art school as well. She wanted to be an artist, and she felt that, you know, John really took her away from those formative years of her life because she had to be there for him all the time. I can relate, yeah. But then he didn't want her anywhere around. Like, she would go to Beatles shows, and... Uh, when once the, once the fans found out that he was married and had a kid, because they kept that a secret for a while, mm-hmm. and once they found out, they would be, like, tearing at her clothes and trying to beat her up, and John would, like, peace out of there, and Paul was the one that would, like, protect her. The Beatles God, loved What Cynthia. an asshole. And John would be like, whatever, and Paul would be the one to, like, kind of come to the Ugh. rescue a little bit. And so... Their son, Julian, was born in April of 1963, so he was only 23 at the time, John. John didn't meet his son because he was um, traveling. Didn't meet his son until three days after he was born, and then immediately went to Barcelona with Brian Epstein. What a dick. Like, like, oh my god. And I've heard Julian talk about talk about his dad oh, yeah. he's oh, like yeah. he does yes. not like John no well yeah. because uh, for very good reasons yeah very good reasons so um let's see da, 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 da. 
So during this time, John's drug use starts going way up. And when you say drugs, what drugs, do you mean? oh everything, LSD. He was a heroin addict. They were using cocaine. Really? Oh my god, he was a hardcore heroin. I didn't addict. know that. Oh my gosh. So I had mixed quotes a little bit here. Some people have said that when John started taking LSD, it made him more tolerable and nicer. And then some people are saying that when he took LSD, he became really, his rage got even worse. Well, I think both can be true because it's like, it's a psychedelic, you know? So it's like, it could affect you differently depending on the dosage, you know, depending on your mood when you took it, you know? So talking more about Julian, he was, well, he was very physically abusive to Cynthia. Imagine being a child and witnessing that. Like that in itself is very damaging. Yeah, it's traumatic. But there was like one time specifically that I read about multiple sources say that there was like a time where they were like having family dinner and Julian was giggling and he was like I never want to hear that fucking laugh ever again that's the ugliest laugh like he said something to that effect and it just broke Julian of course and he would just put him down and and neglect him he was absent Julian always says that Paul was more of a father to him than John was there is so many sweet photos of them together I mean we all know I mean I think we all know where hey Jude came from yeah and it comes from god so sad because so they broke up when Cynthia, John and Cynthia broke up when Cynthia came home from vacation and John and Yoko are like naked staring at each other. She's like, what the fuck? And John just turns and and this is quoted as him just being like, oh, hey. Well, I mean, and all this time as well, like he has been pretty open about his affair. Like he, he had a lot he, of affairs. He once confessed to Cynthia in 1968 that he had had over 300 extramarital affairs yeah, I'm not, during their six-year marriage. Well, I mean, what was that Norwegian Wood or whatever? Like yeah. he wrote about that, like when he yes. was married. Yes. So, but then he's like, "Oh no, it's just a story." Like he would try to, like you know. So why Cynthia. even? Like he obviously didn't care about her, he so did you not. might as well have just been really like but honest he, about your. But he's all he's a pathological liar and I will talk more like everything that he did he he lied a lot about his upbringing he lied about a lot of things to make his appearance a certain way mm-hmm. to make him appear to other people because yeah, he's a massive story. ego he's a massive yeah. ego he's a pathological liar so um and he had been with Yoko for a, a while you know before this and he would kind of sneak away and sneak letters and all this kind of stuff while he was with Cynthia I didn't realize okay I thought him and Cynthia broke up way sooner so they're they so were together Cynthia and uh, and and um, Yoko, oh, Yoko, they overlapped. They overlapped, yeah. So Cynthia, she sees them like naked together, and she's like, "Bye!" And she goes over to their friend's house to like she and John's friends, and then this friend makes a move on her, and she uh, she turns down his advances, and then the next day, John files for divorce because of adultery, <gasps> claims that. And so people think that maybe he set her up. Like, he told his friend to try to, like, make the moves so that he could file for divorce under adultery to Cynthia. Oh, that's bullshit. But then Cynthia countersued because Yoko was pregnant. <gasps> oh! Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, the shit. drama! Oh. So, yeah, that happened. And then a while... So Cynthia eventually kind of became on better terms with Yoko. Like, they're fine. And even Mei Pang, who uh, John cheated on Yoko with, which was their assistant. What the fuck? Yeah. But Yoko really? was like, it was fine. We needed a break in our relationship anyways. I mean, yeah. Th- that's the thing about Yoko. That's why Yoko worked with John is because that's, she, that's her personality. Yeah, she put up with stuff. So Well, she just didn't care as much, you yeah, know, about so, those kind of, like... 
John claims that he, like, kind of, like, became a better person as he was with Cynthia, but never really Mm. showed that to Cynthia. Mm. I believe that his kind of, like, abuse started to just change when he was with Yoko. There's a lot of things about their relationship that people don't really understand. Um, But this is a quote, or, okay, well, first of all, apparently John made Cynthia dye her hair blonde because he had a thing for Bridget Bardot, which I think is interesting. Okay. So she, like, dyed her hair blonde, and, like, she put on this whole facade for him. So she really did, like... Try to please him. Be everything she could for him, Mm -hmm. yeah. But this is what she's quoted to say. She says, I didn't marry a Beatle. I married a broke student who played the guitar and pawned all my grant money off of me. And she wrote that in The Independent in 1999. Um, But she was the first, like, adult woman to kind of, like, mother him, you know. Right, take care of him. Yeah, and John just completely abandoned her and Julian when Julian was five years old. So Julian's uh, behavior and words toward his father, I think, are completely warranted. He says, you know, is it unfair for me to hold this against my father? Mm. Yes, it's completely fair. No, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's unfair at all. Yeah, and I don't I mean, think it's unfair at all. It's something that, like, I can really relate to because it's like there's a there's a father that the world sees and it's like, oh, this guy's so great, he's so funny, he's so talented. And then there's the person that you see when you're home by yourself. And people can judge Julian and just like they judge me with my lack of relationship with my father so easily because they see a certain facade that's out in the world and they don't understand what's actually happened. So I really relate to Julian. And, you know, when his father died, he still loved him very much. Of course. Yeah. He lo- he it's wanted, still your dad. He wanted, but... you know, he was so sad that he didn't get a lot of the memorabilia. He didn't get that, like, he didn't get the same treatment that Sean and Yoko were given when he died. And that was well, really hard I remember for, him. for a long time I didn't even know that Julian existed exactly for a, a good you yeah. know, period of yeah. time because no one ever talked about them nope and um so them as I, in Julian and Cynthia yeah and I mean even you know John is reported at saying like he says that Julian was born out of a bottle of whiskey and he's like there was a lot of kids that were you know just born out of a bottle of whiskey during that time like he just very he like he never gave Julian the respect that he deserved and it I doesn't don't blame sound him. like he really loved you know no, like he didn't and I and I completely respect Julian's decision to be as mature about it as he is and to uh find strength and still have love for that person who didn't treat you well I think that he's a, and didn't treat your mother well yeah yeah you know which he, is really like that that's a, a difficult thing to see especially if your mom is the one who's there taking care of you and then seeing the way that he treated her with like so much dismissal yeah it's horrible i wonder what his relationship with sean is like it's gotten better they've like connected here and there i think that sean and yoko haven't always been the most receptive to julian but i think their relationship has grown Mm -hmm. through the years i mean just like paul and yoko you know people always like to pit them against each other but really like when john was cheating on yoko with may pang paul was the one that got them back together and people think, oh, John just hated Paul until he died well, because and I John think... was being a dick about Paul. But they did, their friendship was, you know, reconnected before he died. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that people don't know about their relationship and about Yoko and John's relationship as well. Well, I mean, you also have to, like, look at the way that John was in his personal relationships, and there's no way that that didn't bleed over into the band. Like, oh, if yeah. he treated his his wife badly, he was touring with them more than he was at home with her. Yeah, and so, I think the guys kind of, like, put up... I feel like there's, like, kind of that thing with, like, guy relationships at times where you kind of just, like, oh, that's just John. You know, they kind of put right, up with it, yeah. or maybe there's a barrier. I mean, John and Paul had a very deep 
connection where I think Paul really understood John. And I think that whenever John acted out, Paul had, he reacted with love, I think, a lot of times. Um, yeah, I have so, this theory that, like, whenever you're a teenager, most teenagers are Lennon people. Yeah. And as you mature and grow as an adult, you become a McCartney person. You become a Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're all like. Paul yeah, yeah, totally. All Me Paul. too. I mean, I think most people do that. Like, yeah. that's how you. I mean, we were talking about how Christina, that's her question on Bumble, is yeah. like Lennon or McCartney. Yeah. You, <laughs> you have know, that's her to opening know. question. Like, yeah, because if you still say Lennon, you're like, I can't do it. Or you, you know. have to give a really, like, I need to know your reasoning. Yeah. Like, like, and it has to be something like, like, oh, his music speaks to me more. It's like, okay, I get that. So there is a play. He did this huge Playboy interview the year before he died that I'm going to quote a lot. So there's a song that John wrote called Getting Better, where in it he says, um, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. And he says, all that was me. I used to be cruel to my woman and physically any woman. I was a hitter. I couldn't express myself and I hit. I fought men and I hit women. And he kind of like shows some remorse, but it's kind of like half-baked remorse. So I'm going to move on to talk very briefly about Yoko because their relationship is much more well-documented than Cynthia and John's. Uh Uh-huh. Something that needs to be realized about Yoko is that people think of Yoko as being like the stalker fangirl that followed him everywhere because she needed to be with him all the time, Mm -hmm. where John wouldn't even go to the bathroom without her. She, like, yeah, he would Seems make very her unhealthy. go... very unhealthy. Right? So he's like, no, I'm all peaceful. I don't abuse women anymore. But, like, his unhealthy attachment to Yoko, I think, is definitely still... It's like... It's, it's like emotional abuse, yes, almost. because it's like ownership, almost. Like, to make someone go to the bathroom with... I don't know. There's something that's weird. And, you know... Ono is blamed for the breakup of the Beatles, and it's nothing. But I don't a, believe that. It's not. It's nothing but I a, think a that's sexist. A myth. It's a sexist double standard, and it's slowly like changing that narrative, um, which I'm glad because John was the one that was like, "I can't do anything without her. He she has needed, to be with me everywhere we go." He needed her, and I think that's something that people don't understand. Um, I mentioned the affair with May Pang, um, but how? Odd is that? Like, how can you need someone and need them to be around you every second because of every he's day? He's fucking psycho, and then still cheat on her. Psycho, you know, like. Well, and he he is a pathological liar. He told, and then so he gives birth to Sean and tells the press, like, I'm gonna stay, uh, I'm gonna be a stay at home dad, and I'm gonna like be this great father, whatever. Bullshit. That was when his heroin addiction was like at, at its a peak. Sky. Hi. And their cleaner, their, like, house cleaner was, like, there was drug paraphernalia everywhere. And, like, he even wrote, there's a song called Watching the Wheels Turn, where it's all about, like, why, you know, don't you feel empty without being in the spotlight? And he's like, no, I'm just with my family and love. And, like, no, he's And meanwhile, he's just, like, holed up in his room. Constantly. Constantly. And some people do say that his physical abuse didn't completely end with Cynthia, which I I believe. Well, I mean, I think if that's who he was all of his life, that stuff doesn't just go away without significant therapy. Yeah. And, like, really a lot of introspection and work. Exactly. So it doesn't just vanish because you're, quote-unquote, with the right person now. Like, that's not how that works. Exactly. So I want to talk about the Bob Wooler attack. Have you ever heard about this? No. Uh, Bob Wooler was the Cavern Club's MC, a close friend of the Beatles, and this attack actually happened at uh, Paul's 21st birthday party. 
uh, Wohler joked that John had a sexual relationship with Brian Epstein because there's some speculation of a relationship since... He brought him on your honeymoon. And they went to Barcelona together. That's weird. And Brian was openly gay. And also this, I mean, not super openly because until 1966 it was illegal to be gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, within their circle of friends... Everyone knew. Everybody knew that he was very gay. And, you know, John, you know, likes to, you know, say, oh no, like we were, we had a very close relationship but it never got to that point where some people are like, oh, John would have wanted that notoriety he would have wanted to say that he was but i i believe that you know maybe there was maybe it never got sexual but i think there was you know there could have been something going on because when this guy bob woller made a comment john beat him so badly that he left him hospitalized with broken ribs and he is quoted to saying i stopped because i was actually going to kill him he called me a queer so i battered his bloody ribs isn't in. that People like to look at John as being this, like, very open, peace and love no. guy. And he he beat someone that badly just because they said that he was gay? Well, so, like, this but is this what, is the 60s. Like, this I don't is understand. The 60s. And in 1980... Well, okay, so he... Uh, Wohler was, like, paid off, basically. Epstein sent 200 pounds, which is $2,200 today. That's to not him. enough. No, it's not enough. That but is it not kept enough him, money. But it kept him quiet. He, he, like, by all intents and purposes, it was, like, forgiven and moved on. And, like, everyone forgot about it. And in 1980, it was brought up in that same Playboy interview. And John says, you know, when you're 21, you want to be a man. If someone said it now, I wouldn't give a shit. So I think that, you know, maybe his views of gay people changed. Okay, I mean, so wait. So this like, was when he was 21. So it was this early when he 60s. he was, like, 23. Okay. Yeah, this is early 60s. So... This like nineteen. If he was twenty three, it would have been nineteen. So this was like in the height of his woman beating phase. Woman beating phase. Also in the height of Beatlemania, like their band was almost done because of this incident. So if he, if Bob Wohler had not quieted down, like the Beatles probably would have ended because that is a like. Yeah. major thing. So also, he had a lot of problematic politics. John Lennon likes to be seen as this political guru, very in the know. Yeah, socialist. Very, yeah. But he donated a lot of money to the Irish Republican Army, which oh. believed political violence was necessary to achieve the goal of independence. Oh, no. Motherfucking terrorists. So, but but the thing is, is like he didn't really even understand what then they were. Then why did he do it? I he has Irish descent, and he believed that, that they were on the right side. He didn't really know what they were doing. He was just like, oh, you want independence from England? Like, I support I get you. that. Here's some money. Yeah, well, and this is the thing. So, and he was just a fucking poser. He wanted to be seen doing certain political things because he felt like it would make his image look better. Like, he was just, the whole Bedins, the everything, like, I think that Yoko felt it more deeply than John did. I think that John wanted to be seen a certain way to make up for his life before. I really think that everything he did was to, like, overcompensate. Right, but all for all for optics, though, because Very it much wasn't for it wasn't anything like he wasn't interested in actually changing. No, he was or, just or in actual politics. He was like, just he, interested in other people thinking yeah, he had changed. He was very against the Vietnam War, but I think it was because that's what was popular to do at the time and. All this stuff. So, after Bloody Sunday in January of 1972, where British troops fired on Catholic protesters in London, Lennon met with IRA rep in New York to explore how he could help the movement. He liked to appear as a political intellectual, but had no grasp of the conflict in Northern Ireland. Um, He offered to play for the, like, Protestants and not the Catholics, which the Protestants hated the IRA. So he was just, he didn't understand any of it. He didn't understand the dynamic at all. Yeah, he... 
wrote songs called Bloody Sunday and Luck of the Irish, where all the loyalties went to charity supporting IRA prisoners. And he wore a sign during the protest that says, Victory for the IRA against British imperialism at an anti-internment march. And he, in total, donated 46,000 pounds to the cause. That's a lot of money. Yes. Uh, Lenin claims his loyalty to the IRA, be- IRA because of his commitment to, quote-unquote, working-class values, which is bullshit because he was raised comfortably middle-class, went to private school, was taken very good care of, but he likes to be seen as, oh, I work A working-class hero, yeah. quote-unquote, yeah. He has a song exactly. called Working-Class Hero. So let's start talking about some of his problematic songs, shall we? Yes, let's get into it. Do you know the song Run For Your Life? No. Uh, Wait, do I? Well, it's, um, <laughs> I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with oh, another yes, man. yes, yes. I do know that song. Yeah. You better run for your life if you can, little girl. Hide your head in the sand, little girl. Uh, okay, hold Catch on. Catch you with another man. That's the end, little girl. Uh, we need to pause because I'm like, uh, why was this coming out of like one of the most popular bands of all time so, at this time? Why were they allowing these songs to be made? I don't Isn't know, but this is the insane? thing. Well, this is the same album as, as Rubber Soul. Norwegian Wood. There was a lot of problematic stuff. When I first heard this song, being the true crime lover that I am, they wrote like songs about other people. They wrote Maxwell Silver Hammer. She uh-huh. came in through the bathroom. There's all these things where you can kind of like, it's almost like they're not singing it about themselves. It pulls you outside of yourself. Yeah. I thought it was like, I thought they were talking about another, like a real, like a story that they'd heard. You know, like they were yeah. putting themselves in the minds of but somebody still, who's like a murderer. I don't know. There's because still just it's like, fun. It's like a like it's a fun like little song, and I was kind of like, okay, I'm bopping. And I understand that at this point in like you know by Rubber Soul, they were bigger than Jesus, you know, According to quote to John, Lennon. John Lennon. Well, so I think that they, they... they were allowed to do whatever they wanted, I assume. Well, because... and Brian Epstein was their manager and was very close to John. Like, I think that they had a lot of say in what was put out. And so that song actually, though, was a uh, response to a song by Elvis Presley, which was John Lennon's hero, called Let's Play House, where, it, and it picks up where that song finishes. There is a line in that song by Elvis Presley that says, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than be with another man but there's other things in it that makes it seem more like I just want you to play house like it's kind of problematic but like the song is very problematic and then we get into jealous guy that I mentioned earlier where he says let this be a sermon I mean everything I've said baby I'm determined I'd rather see you dead and a year later he writes all you need is love (laughs) what the fuck Okay, Keegan, this one's going to make you really mad. Are you ready to get pissed Yeah, I'm off? ready. I'm already there. He wrote a song with Yoko called Woman is the N-Word of the World. Only did he say N-Word? No, of course not. He of did course not. not. Of course not. Do you know? Like, John Legend is, the, is John that Legend? guy. John Legend? I'm so sorry, John Legend. <laughs> like, no, no, no. No! No, John Legend, you're amazing and perfect, and I love you. Um, John Lennon is that guy. Yeah. John Lennon is that guy in your high school that's just like, well, I don't know why I'm not allowed to say it. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. He says about the song, I had to find out about about myself and my attitudes toward women. Many believe the song is flat out racist because, duh. <laughs> Lennon says, I really believe women have the worst, whatever it is. However badly or how poor people are, it's the woman who takes it when they get home from work. Which to me is such a white feminism, closed-minded thing because he's saying that women have it worse than anybody else. Where, unless he is including black women... Hispanic right. women because they do. They have it worse yeah, off you're not, than I do. You're not looking at it from an intersectional 
point he's of view not, at all. He's but, not. I mean, I understand what he's saying as far as just like across the world, women are going to have it worse than men wherever you are because it's a patriarchal society. Would it's you a, like to you hear know, some world, lyrics? But yeah, sure. Why not? We make her paint her face and dance. If she won't be slave, we say that she doesn't love us. If she's real, we say she's trying to be a man. While putting her down, we pretend that she's above us. Woman is the N-word of the world. Yes, she is. If you don't believe me, take a look at who you're with. Woman is the slave of slaves. Okay. Woman is not the slave of slaves. Okay. Slaves are slaves of slaves. No, it, it's it's a com- it is a completely like white feminist it's, point of view. Well, in and 19- it's also it seems very like it sounds like he's talking about himself. Yeah, because that's the way that he's treated women. Yeah, from the word go. Yeah, he it, it's it's. Um, I can't. It's like an over... It's like he's trying to make it better by making it worse. But in 1972, John and Yoko received a positive image of woman citation from the National Organization for Women... Oh, no. ...for the song's strong pro-feminist statement. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I see that that's what he was trying to do. Like, I see that. But, like, the more that you tell me, the more I just feel like... John Lennon is that guy at a party yeah. that you're like that thinks that they're woke, yeah, and but they're, they're not. not woke. You ain't you ain't woke, bro. And it's really hard to explain to them why they're not, like, or it's why everything so, that they're saying is really problematic. It's so okay. So he also wrote "Getting Better," which we talked about, um, and then Norwegian Wood we talked about briefly. He, like he talks about setting a fucking bed on fire because she wouldn't sleep with him, and then across the universe he wrote after he had a fight with Cynthia because she was droning on and on and on. Oh my god! <laughs> doesn't that ruin across the universe for you? Because it that's does. one of my favorite songs. Oh god, it doesn't. It's one of my favorite songs too. I know. See, this is the problem. Problematic faves, man. It's really hard to figure out when when to separate the art from the artist and whether or not to do that. Well, thank you for like transitioning me to what I was just about to say, Keegan. You get me. <laughs> All right. So the Daily Californian, which is like a, I think it was like a college paper or something that I found online. Uh, there's an article they wrote that says we can love Lennon's music as long as we don't defend his abuse and many do and they state that without his abuse he wouldn't have found peace Mm. because John says that himself to continue from his uh, getting better quote from Playboy he says that is why I am always on about peace you see it is the most violent people who go for love and peace Ah. I am am a violent man who has learned not to be violent and regrets his violence I will have to be much older before I can face in public how I treated women as a youngster okay and i'm just gonna say this changed or not john lennon is a dick talented sure but a dick he also he did steal a lot of music though i have to say and he stole a lot of music from black artists without referencing them well i mean if elvis presley is your hero yeah elvis presley got famous doing that that's what he did yeah black people invented rock and roll they did so when white people came in in the 60s and decided that they were going to make rock and roll happen yeah they they just stole that all from black culture all from black culture yeah african-american culture specifically So, I'm going to finish this off by, I found an article that angered me a little bit, um, because it says, John Lennon's journey to feminism and why it matters in the era of Trump. I'm not going to go into the whole Trump side of this article, because that would take me another 30 minutes to discuss all of this. I'm sorry, are they, are they suggesting that John Lennon is a feminist? They're suggesting that John Lennon had a, had a journey to feminism, much like they are hoping that Trump... I, 
It's, no. It's oh, God. Fucky. No. It's fucky. It doesn't make any Trump sense. Trump has shown us Nothing. literally zero yeah. uh, intention yeah. to be a feminist at all. Well, like, I don't understand. And they think that they think that John Lennon is a feminist because of a couple examples, such as the song Woman. I love this song where he says, Woman, I can hardly express my mixed emotion and thoughtlessness. After all, I'm forever in your debt. Woman, please let me explain. I never meant to cause you sorrow or pain. And then but I, I you love that did, song. But though. you did. And but here's the thing: like none of this matters to me. Like anything that you put in a song, or you say in a Playboy interview, or you, you know, you put out there in the media, means actually nothing to me. Yeah. If you don't you s- go to the people that you hurt yeah, and make it better, and make it better. Well, like none of that matters. It's not an actual apology yes. if you say I'm sorry in a song. You need to go say you're sorry to the person to their face yep. and make up for what you've done. And them. a lot of people see John Lennon as a feminist. No. Um, if you Google John Lennon feminism, you will see a lot of quotes, you will see a lot of things, including this one. He says, We can't have a revolution that doesn't involve and liberate women. It's so subtle the way that you're taught male superiority. I mean, he's not wrong there. He's not wrong. I mean, I think he has some progressive views. It's just... Does. It's just, it, it. it's hard to know what's real and what's for optics well, and, and what also, is just, like, him knowing the right thing to say. Oh, I think it's Yoko's you know? words. I think it's Yoko's words because Yoko is a feminist bitch. Like, yeah. I love her. She yeah. is great. She's not the, she's not a good singer. Oh, no. She's, she's you know, toned Don't up. listen to her music. It's awful. Yeah, she's but toned But she is a very, like... Like, I would love to have a conversation with her. She's I think, fascinating. I think it's Yoko's words. I really do. And I think that she's trying to teach him these things. And so he's starting to Why see things Why would someone like Yoko be with someone like John? Because I think that he was influential. She wanted to be influential. I think that she loved him um, in, a, in a way that he needed to be loved and that she was okay with that. I don't know. Well, I mean, and I also, I, I mean, I do think, look, we've said a lot of, of really bad stuff about John Lennon, deservedly, but I do think that people are complicated. People and are. there are flashes of progressive thought in, yes. in who he was. And, and I think, trying. I think he did, I think he did want to try and I think that he thought he was trying. Yes. He just wasn't, he wasn't taught, he wasn't equipped no one taught no. him how to handle it. Well, and that's why I wanted to bring up his childhood because right. I think that it's important to realize his his background and how his background had come out in his adult life. He was also part of the biggest band in history. Like they never got to grow up. Right. I like, mean, these and, were and all just little boys running amok. Like they never got to grow right. up and have real relationships with people yeah. because they got famous by the time they were like in their late teens. And we've talked you know? about that before, as far as like. We've talked about that with Kanye or the Kardashians, where it's like, if you are at a certain level of fame, you're not living in reality anymore. No, you're not. You're living in a completely different world that other people don't live in, and you're being let off the hook for a lot of things that other people are not let off the hook for, so you might not have the ability, unless you are seeking that kind of, like, introspection and going to therapy and, like, doing that work. I mean, George Harrison very much, I think, tried to be that way. Right. And I just wanted to say, too, I'm not saying that John Lennon is the only problematic Beatle. All of the Beatles in their young lives treated women like shit. They all, you know, had a very uh, skewed perception of women and sexual relationships and made a lot of mistakes, but a lot of them grew out of it. I mean, Ringo was a raging alcoholic, and so was his wife that he's still married to. And they, or did she die? I don't remember. I think but they she went, may have died. But they got sober together. Yeah, and Ringo's been sober ever since. I mean, since. and it's it's also one of those things where it's easy to kind of like make this assessment of John Lennon whenever we didn't get to see him 
grow up. We entire, never, like, yeah. I mean, we did, obviously. He was a grown adult. He is yes. responsible for all of the things that but he did. But his life was, but and his life was cut short in a way that, like, we've gotten to see Paul and Ringo evolve. And also, you know? we've been able to say a lot about him without him being able to respond for a long time. Yeah. You know, like, this is all things that are coming out. I mean, there's still stuff, I mean, like, that leaked audio diary. Like, all this stuff is coming out, and John isn't here to defend himself. Or you to know? say what he meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so a lot of this can be taken with a grain of salt, but I wanted to um, explore this because if, you know, everyone and their mother is a Beatles fan. Yeah. And I think it's important to be aware of the history of the people that you're listening to. Absolutely. Love their music. I love John Lennon's music. I I'm not going to stop listening to his yeah. music. I'm not going to stop listening to the Beatles. But I'm glad that I have a better understanding of who they are so I don't always idolize the person. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I definitely did. John Lennon was my Beatle. Like, yep. I loved him. I remember watching um, Help, the movie, and I was like, he is so cute. He was so cute, young John he was Lennon. funny. And he was funny he was the funny one right yeah. like you know Paul was like quiet and sweet but yeah. John was funny yeah. and charismatic and charming yeah. and then I loved you know I had that shirt with his face on it giving yeah. a peace sign yeah. you know all of that well, stuff and it's interesting because people think of him as being the most talented Beatle when literally Paul taught him everything no Paul he knew. Uh, Paul I think is Paul, more talented uh, lyrically John is a genius musically but different Paul yeah. is like yeah. out out of this world. Like there's if you listen to the anthology when John is singing Strawberry Fields, he's like I can't do it. I cannot do it. And then Paul kind of like helps him out with the guitar yeah. and something like that. So. Yeah. Well, I've been going on about John Lennon for forever and a No, day. that was great. Thank so, you for sharing that. Oh my god, it's, you're it's so hard to welcome It's hard to hear. I know. But you need to know. But you've got to know, you know, like yeah. And I'm going to continue to listen to the Beatles but just be more like aware of of the history of it. I mean, it. I listen to the Beatles every day. Yeah. Every day. I love them. They're my favorite band of all time, and I know that's, like, such a cliche thing to say, but they are, and I love them, and I want to know everything about them, and I love them. Keegan, who are you talking about? Hey, everyone. I'm Lily. And I'm Britt. And we're the co-hosts of Lady Shit with Lily and Britt. We talk about anything and everything related to being women today, like how much it sucks when people ask when you're going to have a baby, or how much we love Michelle Obama, and is there a right way to do self-care? As doctoral students, we're occasionally smart, putting in a little bit of research into every topic we cover. But mostly, we're just ridiculous. As the guy who sold us our podcast equipment said, you're the kind of smart where you really have to dig. If we sound like your cup of tea or glass of wine, new episodes of Lady Shit come out every second Tuesday. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean. Oh, and when you're searching, make sure Lady Shit is one word. Yeah, and you have to substitute the I for an exclamation point. Why did we make this so hard to find? I guess the guy at the store was right. Okay, so <laughs> this one is not going to be nearly as scathing. Okay. But again, for the similar reasons, I feel like it is important to talk about, and it's something that I brought up in our very first episode, Taylor Swift. Yes, because I was going to say, gonna talk I'm going to talk Taylor about Swift. Taylor Swift next, but yes, um, tell me. So basically, my issue with Taylor Swift, I, I have a few issues with Taylor Swift that we're going to like go through some bullet points here. But part of it is that she is one of the biggest pop stars in the Ever. world, if not 
no, not, not the biggest, because listen, Beyonce, but she is, like, one of the biggest pop stars to exist, especially right yeah. now. Yeah, And she has this ability to use her platform to do something incredible. And she's And not. she has in some respects. Like, we'll talk a little bit about her sexual assault advocacy, which is yeah. incredible. Yes. And she's amazing in that way, and I will never, like, take that away from her. because. She deserves all the props for that. But then she also does other things where I feel like she exploits... She's a marketing genius. She is so smart. Genius. She is a, she's so business savvy. Right. But because of that, I think she knows really well how our world works. Yeah. And how she can she twist wanna, that to her advantage. And she doesn't want to make anybody not like her. I'm just going to say really quick, I can't say how I've met her on a personal level, but uh-huh. I have met her a couple of times. Um, and she is magnetic. Yeah, I believe you that. You meet her and she is just, there is something about her that she makes you feel seen. Mm-hmm. She makes you feel comfortable. She draws you to her. She yeah. does. And she's so nice. And you know, I believe I all of that. Say, yeah. I always say, you know, nice is different than good. That doesn't make, that doesn't mean that she hasn't done things that are problematic, but I just wanted to clarify my standing on her. I definitely see the problematic stuff, but she was very good to me personally. Well, I mean, and here's the thing, like, again, when it comes to problematic faves, there's nothing saying that, like, this person is a bad person yeah. or, like, anything like that. It's, no. it's nothing like that. It's just saying, I see your flaws uh-huh. and needing to acknowledge those. Yes. And, uh, you know, because we need to pay attention to the yeah. people who we, um, you know, they're our heroes. We're yeah. looking up to them and we can't just blindly be like, everything you do yeah. is okay. I mean, you know? my mom bought me a Taylor Swift album when I was 13 and was like, oh, there's this new artist at... Target, and I heard one of her songs on the radio, like, here's a CD, and I listened to it, and I was just like, oh my god, I love this, and, like, I was, I've been a fan of hers for, like, over ten years, so, I mean, like, in and out, Mm -hmm. but it's one of those, it's like my guilty pleasure music, you know? Of course, it's everyone's guilty pleasure music. Yeah, because she's just great. You can hate Taylor Swift, but what you can't do is say that she doesn't make a perfect pop song. Have you heard her song All Too Well? No. I don't think so. Oh my gosh. It is a long song, and it is a breakup song when she was dating Jake Gyllenhaal, and it is a beautiful song. Listen to it when they're done with this recording. It's a beautiful song. I mean, Shake It Off is a perfect pop song. She she knows how to make a perfect pop song. I mean, her lyrics, you call me up again just to break me like a promise. Like, there's lines in there that you're just like, oh, I feel the things. (laughs) All right. No, it makes me feel like a teenage girl with heartbreak And that's, that's every, like, look, she's very, very, very good at that. Yeah. Like, she is very good at knowing how to connect with her fans. Yes. And knowing how to speak to young girls. Yes. She's very good at that. She's good at that even now. Yeah. You know, and no one can take that away from her. Look, we're going to talk a little bit about how she kind of came up. And there are things that you have to give her. You have to give her tenacity. You have to give her... um, Her work ethic. Her work ethic. And, you know, at 11, she convinced her mom to go from Pennsylvania to Nashville to go door-to-door giving... giving them CDs and then working as, like, a free songwriter. And they all turned her down. And at 11 years old, that kind of rejection could be really hard. Yeah. You know, and then she was taken on by, um, she started writing songs, she learned how to play the guitar after that, and with, listen, with a lot of assistance from her very wealthy parents. Yes. Her parents were extremely wealthy, they bankrolled 
a lot of this kind of like learning how to write music, learning how to play the guitar, they really put a lot of time yeah. and energy they and money. They owned like a farm. They owned a Christmas tree farm. Yeah. So, and we're going to get to that too. Like in a lot of ways, her childhood was very idyllic. Oh, very. She, very storybook. Yeah. She grew up, you know, the child of very wealthy bank executive parents on a Christmas tree farm. Yeah. So, you know, like a lot of that comes into play later and a lot of issues that I have with her is her coming out as this kind of like, I'm a quirky outsider who's nerdy and dorky and not like, I'm just like you. And it's kind of like, but you're... You're not. Yeah. You're not. You yeah. drove, like, a luxury sports car in, in high school. You're definitely not that, like, nerdy girl who just, like, can't get the guy. Like, yeah. That's not, that's not you, and you're yeah. using that kind of... Narrative. Because you know it speaks to young girls. Yeah. And it's smart. Like, business-wise, it's, it's really smart. Yeah. She, at 14, uh, was given a development deal by RCA, which was not a record deal. They were just like, we will kind of fund your success. They're like, we will kind of like monitor you and, and decide like, we'll, we'll try and build you up and see what we can make of you. So they did that for a year. And then they were like, no, thank you. But we want to keep, we don't want to give you a record deal, but we want to kind of shelf you. We want to keep you and like put you on the shelf so that maybe, so one, no one else can have you. And yeah. then two, maybe sometime down the line, eventually. Yeah. Which at 14, when RCA says, we want to keep you, but not use you right now, it would be very tempting to be like, okay, okay. you know, because just, you know, because with the possibility big, yeah. that RCA might pick you up. But Taylor didn't. She said, no, thank you. Yep. And moved on, which is a really, you know, big thing to do. Because she knew that she what she wanted to do. Right. And yeah. she was able to convince her parents at 14 to relocate the entire family yep. to Nashville. Again, with the caveat that this is a person who had a lot of opportunities and resources yeah. where a lot of other equally talented people, equally driven people won't be able to do this. Yeah. Like their families won't be able to like pick them up and move the yeah. entire I mean, family. She has a little brother too, you know, it wasn't right. just like her and her parents. Right. And we can't hold this again. I'm not, I'm not saying any of this to hold her parents no, you against just, her. You just had to realize. Right. We just need to. It's like Lena Dunham. Acknowledge that. It's yeah. It's like Lena Dunham yeah. saying, you know, I'm just this. Like, well, it's like people saying Kylie Jenner is a self-made billionaire ugh, when you're like. get me started. Are you? We're really playing like fast and loose with the term self-made, self-made. here. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, none of this is to be held against Taylor no. Swift. Like, you know, it's, it's awesome that, that her parents were able to do this for their daughter. That's great. Yeah, if you, you are know? able to do something like that, you know, don't feel badly for giving your child success. You right, know? I mean, and money doesn't buy you um, tenacity. Or talent. You know, or talent. Yeah. And so she definitely did all of that on her own. And, yeah. like, she deserves props for that. Yeah. So at 14, Scott Borchetta sees Taylor at a showcase and he had just left another record company and he was like, the good news is that I want to sign you to a record deal. The bad news is I don't have a record label. So you would be my first. Yeah. Big Machine Records, right? So I can't remember. I don't know. That's the one that she's been with them since the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Then that's what it is. So she took a chance on him though. Yeah. You know, because she was like, okay, let's do this. Like, let's build this thing together. Yeah. In her first album, like on the back of the CD, I remember her writing like in the acknowledgements about how they took a chance on each other. She's so proud yeah. of this album because of it and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, she took that chance, and three years later, her record sales were topping seven million dollars. Yeah. So that's it's it's unreal. Props to her for sure. Yeah. And the way that she connects with her fans, I think, is something that's really really special. Like even now, you will see her commenting on fans' pages yeah. on Instagram, and I do believe 
that that is her. I don't think it's an assistant. No, I don't think it is either. <clears throat> I think she's very in tune with her fans I in a way. I think maybe an assistant will be like, oh, I saw this comment respond to right. this Right, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think that that's possible. I doubt she has time to just be scrolling through the yeah, millions of she's comments. she's very busy, yeah. you know, but I believe that she is very personally engaged with her fans in a way that is genius, again, like, yep. it, like from a marketing perspective, and I think some of it's calculated, some of it's not, but, oh, yeah. like, it's, it's amazing in that way. Um, so what she's done with this, like, marketing situation, it's, like, she started a grassroots campaign, basically. Yeah. Like, she handled her social media accounts the way that, like, politicians handle grassroots, like, campaigns, where yeah. she did personal engagement with people in order to build this massive fan base that you yeah. don't see. There aren't a lot of of other pop stars that have the same kind of, like... They try. Yeah. They try. They're, like, they name their fans and the whole thing, but it doesn't get It's not the, the same. same thing because it doesn't feel personal. And she did a very good job of making it feel really personal. Well, because she keeps in contact with these people for years. Yeah. You know, like, she makes sure that they're very, that they're very seen and that she remembers little details about them. And, and look, like I do think there was a time whenever, you know, there were lots of videos of, like, Taylor Swift, like, going to meet fans and things like that. And I do think that it's calculated. I think very. that, like, it's... But it can still come from a good place. It can be calculated and Planned, yeah, but she can also still be a good person. I mean, again, I, I can't don't think really, she's a bad person. No, again, I can't. I can't go into how I, I know a lot of this stuff because I've signed a non-disclosure agreement. But I I worked for somebody who was friends with her who said that she would like be in the car and, and Taylor would be calling you know kids with cancer and like her mom and her would just be crying and Taylor would just be handling it so well. And, no, like, I believe she's a she, good person. Yeah, I don't just, believe that she's a bad person, but. Okay, we're going to start getting into some problematic Let's stuff. Let's do here. it. Give me it. She went from writing about boys primarily to and, and pitting women against each other, yes. which is what she did a lot of. She built her career in the beginning yes. um, mostly pitting women against each other. Yeah, fighting for the guy. Right, yeah, yeah. And there was oh, a lot of... I wear sh- I wear jeans and t-shirts, you wear dresses right, and Right, and, and in that video, I think, is the one where she was playing both sides. Yeah. And it was very much a Madonna horror you know, yes. complex where it was like she's slutty, so she doesn't deserve to be with you. Yeah, you know. And at one point, there was a song, um, "Better Than Revenge," yep. where she compares it's such a good song. I, I mean, it's 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 horrible, but I I enjoyed it at the time. Um, <laughs> she compares a woman who's an actress to her skills on a mattress. Yep. So she nope, she calls a lot. She definitely in the the beginning of her career played on being this like white virginal victim. Yeah, kind of. She does not. Sp- play that song anymore. I mean, that's good. It's good. But again... She still wrote it. (laughs) She still wrote it, and again, I think that's kind of... I don't... I don't think that she's not a a feminist, but I do think she rode that feminist wave, and she understands from a business point of view that that not playing that song is smart. Yeah. Like, well, it's not and that's just... the thing. When I loved that song, it was a time when I had lost a guy that I really liked because he went to another girl. So for me, it was that song that I was like, mm-hmm. you know, and it was easier for me to be mad at the girl than it was But she has somehow made a career out of both putting women down and supporting them at the same time. Yeah. And she continues to do that with songs like Bad Blood. Like, yeah. it, she continues to kind of like... Girl gang, but fuck you to the one outsider. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, yeah. so we're, we're getting into, like, squad power now, Her right? squad, I'm sorry. Is problematic. And then, okay, I, the photo of, like, the 4th of July a couple years ago where it's, like, all of her, like, blonde model friends. And, exactly. And Uzo Aduba. Yeah, and you're like... <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? 
doing? Like, you can't just like it. This it made it seem like she had a token black friend. Like that's well, what yeah. It she's got like. a she's got a token black friend and then a token Lena Dunham because she's yeah. like, see, it's not all just leggy models. No, and you're like, okay, but you also have possibly the most problematic like feminist friend you could have. Yeah, that ushered you into feminism. Oh, and, yeah, she goes, Lena Dunham taught me everything I know about feminism. It's the wrong like, person. Ah! Wrong person to be looking at. I mean, <laughs> there is something about the squad goals thing that she started with her, you know, you know, legion of model friends. Yeah. Um, that feels very clicky. Very. And it feels very mean girly. And exclusive. And exclusive. Yep. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it's so, um, all you're thinking of is you want to be inside that. And it's, it's and she just wanted to be friends with whoever was popular at the time. She would right, send them to make flowers. herself look better. Yeah. It's calculated. It's very And calculated. again, that's fine. But it's like important to acknowledge that like she's built her career on friendship. She's trying to build her career on like women being friends and standing up for each other and girl power. But at the, but at the same time, putting anyone she doesn't like down. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like. It's just an interesting thing to be, like, aware of. Yeah. And she's made her career, again, on being this, like, outsider dork. Yeah. Whenever she really, she really is probably the most popular girl in school. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. There was some, you know, she said that she was, like, bullied when she was younger. But I feel like it was one of those things where it was kind of to the level that, that most people are bullied. She had curly hair. She, you know, they would make fun of her for that and things like that. Like, I don't know if it was anything extreme. You know, I think she was pretty privileged, she talks about she's very you know, privileged. She talks about you know her mom. You know, there's a beautiful song um, called "Best Day" that she wrote about her mom, and she does sing about how her mom, you know, at the end of a bad day at school, would make her feel better. And like, I do believe but that's that everyone. That, yeah, that your experience is is valid. That I, but I think that in the long run, she did live a very privileged life. Yes, um, she lived a very privileged life. Even yeah. if she, even if she experienced some bullying, which you know, listen, I'm not trying to downplay any of that. No, but you still. Had a, you led a very very privileged life, and yes. I don't think that she admits to that a lot no. or owns up to that a lot no, because that wouldn't be on brand, right? It's off brand. Yeah, everything she does is very calculated as far as you know. She's very good at building her brand. Yep. But okay, so we're gonna we're gonna come bring it back up a little bit and talk yep. a little bit about her sexual assault advocacy because this is one thing that I cannot take away. No, from No, she did great. Okay, so she countersued this guy named David Muller, who was a DJ in Denver, um, who during a fan meet and greet, she says that he stuck his hands up her skirt. Mm -hmm. And she didn't sue him. He sued her. Yeah. Because he ended up getting fired because she made sure that his boss knew yeah. what he had done. She just went and told his boss. She didn't she didn't yeah. sue him. She could have done a lot worse. Yeah. And she kept it on the down low. Yeah, and his boss fired him. So he sued Taylor and her manager for back pay due to losing his job. So then Taylor was like, fuck no, and, yeah. to, and took him to court. She said that he, or he said that she falsely accused him of assault, and he was suing her for $2.9 in damages. Woo! She countersued for $1. <laughs> and won. In a statement following the trial, this is the first and he, time... And he paid it in pennies. I, I thought he paid her in a, a Sacagawea coin. Oh, that's right. That's right. 
this is the first time, after this trial happened, this is the first time we see Taylor acknowledge her own privilege. Yeah. So she put out a statement and she said, I want to acknowledge the privilege I benefit from in life, in society, and in my ability to shoulder the enormous cost of defending myself in a trial like this. My hope is to help those whose voices should also be heard. Therefore, I'll be making donations in the near future to multiple organizations that help sexual assault victims defend themselves. Yep. So that is amazing. That's a great thing she did. Yeah, and like her advocacy uh, for Kesha. So after Kesha, a year before this happened, Kesha was denied by a court an injunction that would have allowed her to record new music outside of her own record label. Yeah. And Taylor Swift gave Kesha $250,000. Yeah. That's um, amazing. So there's some true sister solidarity very, there. Very, very. You know. Yeah. But we are going to get to what I find to be probably the most problematic thing about Taylor Swift. Let's do it. White victimhood. Oh, yeah. She has built her career off of white victimhood. Yes. She has ridden this wave of the VMAs where... Famously, yep. Kanye, she went up to accept her award, and Kanye took the microphone from her and basically said she didn't deserve to win. And yeah. that is awful. Yes. He did something shitty to her. Yes. But she has played on this for a decade. Yep. <laughs> like, she has played on the fact that this happened to her. She just recently, not that long ago when she was accepting an award, basically alluded to it. Yep. You know, um... And you can see... Well, because both of them have played the game for a long time. And so I don't know. It's like, I think it's both people are kind of involved, but she's definitely ridden the wave. I think both people are involved, but I think it's exactly like what I was saying to begin with, which is like, she understands very well how our society works. Oh, yeah. And she understands that if it's coming down between her... Yeah. And Kanye West... Yeah. People are going to believe her. It's As, true. I mean, a lot of there was that whole you know Taylor Swift is dead thing. Like she did get a lot of backlash, but in the end, the people that were her fans stayed with her. They didn't like. Well, and she's. Side. I mean, even recently, whenever Kanye put out "Famous," yeah, the song "Famous," yeah, and he said, you know, I made that bitch, bitch famous. famous, and she tried to argue that like he did this without my knowledge and all of that stuff, and, like, I I had no idea. And then Kim came out with the receipts of a video of Kanye talking to Taylor and her saying that it was fine. So she was trying to ride this victim wave when she was wrong because she knew that she could play on the fact that she was a blonde, beautiful, tall, leggy, white woman, and just by... We give them the benefit of the doubt. Yep. You know, and there was this quote that I have here. I can't remember where I got it from, but... It's, it was someone discussing this very topic after that whole thing happened. And they said, What Taylor did was use the inherent empathy and, and benefit of the doubt her white womanhood allows her to possess to throw a black person under the bus if necessary and convenient. Yep. And that is exactly what she did. And yep. she's very good at it. Yep. She, you know, she totally sees the world that we live in. She knows that she can exploit that and use that to her advantage. Um, <clears throat> and she references, like, being an outsider, being a victim all the time yeah. and playing on that all the time. Yeah. So she wants to be this, like, badass bitch, like, when you watch, like, Bad Blood and things like that. Yeah. But at the same time, if it's easier for you to, like, cry to, to get victim, out of a situation... You're gonna do it. You're gonna do that. And yeah. I understand, like... This is one of those things where it's like, don't hate the player, hate the game. Like, she's playing the game. Yeah. But she is in a position where she could change the game. Exactly. And she's she not. she chooses not to do that because it's not easy. It's not and easy. And she for doesn't. Her. And it's and she 
you know, only is affected by causes that affect her. She only yes. helps the causes that directly affect her. Yes. We have never seen her speak out against racial inequality. Right. Uh, we have never seen her speak out. She, I mean, we've talked about her with the, the election. She never spoke out We don't know Trump. who she voted for. I mean, like, people think she's, like, a Nazi princess. Like, they, Yeah, which, which we'll get to as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but, so, speaking about her not ever speaking about racial issues... So she got into a Twitter fight with Nicki Minaj. Oh my God, yeah. Because Nicki Minaj, whenever there were VMA nominations, the VMA nominations came out, yeah. and Nicki Minaj was nominated. Yeah. And she made some kind of thing where she said that only thin bodies yeah. get nominated for these kinds of awards yeah. for videos. And Taylor yep. decided that that was about her, yep. and, and came out and said, and she weaponized feminism in a yeah. way that I find really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, she said, it's unlike you, Nikki, to tear other women down. And Nikki had to come back and be like, this is not about you. And it's not about tearing women down. It's about tearing down the the award ceremony yes. that didn't nominate people of color and different body types. Right. That is what... Like, you, you are taking something very personally that is actually a larger societal issue yeah. that you have the ability to change. Yeah. Or to try and change. Or, and, to, or even if Taylor would have just retweeted, you know, and supported what she's saying, like, yeah, I realize that I'm privileged and that... Maybe part of the way that I look is part of why I'm Absolutely. so successful. Absolutely. So maybe I can help make a change so that you can be successful. Precisely. Too. So, but instead, she decided to play this like I'm the better feminist card. Yep. Because I think a lot, it's very white feminism to think that feminism is just being nice to other women. Yeah. Like that's what feminism is and that yeah. you should never question another woman or yeah. or say anything negative yeah. about another woman. People say that all the time. You know, you see it on the right all the time when they're talking about like, well, if you don't support Ivanka, then you're you, not a feminist. Because you have to support all women. And it's like, that's not what this is. That's not yeah. what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, she later apologized. So that's oh, good. Oh yeah, she put her tail between her legs yeah, and was she, like, oh shit. She did, she did totally apologize, but... She completely missed the bigger issue, and she has done nothing. If she was really sorry... She was what, sorry that she jumped to a conclusion. and made an assumption right. that wasn't true. She wasn't sorry that she didn't... And I believe that she her didn't, that yeah. she's sorry. But she didn't... But she wasn't sorry for the major issue that she overlooked. And she hasn't done anything to try and dismantle the white supremacy or, you know, the body image issues or anything. Or She hasn't tried to diversify the music industry when she really could because yeah. it doesn't benefit her to do that. Nope. It benefits her for things to remain exactly as they are, where if you are white, tall, and, and skinny, you are more likely to be successful. Yep. That benefits her. Yep. If the industry suddenly flipped the other way, then it it wouldn't help her career. Nope. And she's all about making sure and maintaining that, like, career. Yeah. Um, again, do we hate the player? Do we hate the game? I think we can hate both. Yep. You know. And then, and this is where I don't have all my notes, but there was a whole thing. So with the 2016 election, she was very noticeably quiet. Yeah. Politically, she, yeah. you know, this All was of her a time. Were pretty vocal. Yeah, this was a time whenever people like Katy Perry were showing up to Hillary rallies. Yeah. And I'm not saying you had to support Hillary, but I'm saying it was odd yeah. that she was absent. Was very for someone who is an outspoken feminist. Yes. Quote unquote. Or claims to be. Or claims to be. She didn't say anything nope. about Trump grabbing women by the pussies. Nope. She 
you know, she was very you noticeably... You think she would have used that to her advantage? You would think so, which is... And that's the thing that concerns me about Taylor Swift in this aspect, because I'm like, as we've noticed throughout this entire thing, she doesn't did ever... You, did you vote for Trump? Right, because it's like, she doesn't ever not use something to her advantage. Yeah. When it, when it suits her and her career. Yeah. So why wouldn't she use this unless she's afraid of alienating all of her old country music fans? Yep. Which I think is part of it. But that's, you know what, that's fine. That's neither here nor there. You're not obligated to tell us who you vote for or what your political leanings are. It's strange to me, but you're not obligated to do that, and that's fine. Can you just say you're not a Nazi? That's exactly right. Just that's say you're the not most a Nazi. that's the most problematic thing with Taylor Swift that I've heard recently is there was um, there's a website the Daily Stormer which is an alt right website and they basically said that um, Taylor Swift was their Nazi Aryan princess yeah and that it would come out later that she held these views yeah. and agreed with these views and was also a white supremacist. And it became very popular. This wasn't like, oh, she may not have even like realized. No, she definitely heard about this. There's yeah. no way. And didn't say a thing. She was, yeah, she didn't denounce it. She is, never said that this wasn't true. Really? Would it hurt you to just be like, hey, yo. Uh, I don't like Nazis. Literally, Nazi. that's all you had to say was, yep. hey, I'm not a Nazi. These rumors aren't true. Yeah, no. and you... You don't have to go any further. You don't have to talk about Trump, anything else. Yeah. Not a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. The end. Yeah, um, I don't support these views. They're not in line with my own personal views. That's it. And you could have stopped talking. Because what they said wasn't just, we love Taylor Swift because she's white and blonde hair and blue-eyed. They said, they said she said, agrees with these things yes. and it will come out eventually. Yes. And so... To me, that's very problematic. <laughs> that you can't... In the times we are living in, you have to make a decision. And you yes. have to stand on one side or the other. And if you don't do that, it makes me... Especially on white supremacy? Really? Yeah. That's yeah. a pretty easy one to denounce and in my book. So to me, I'm like, okay, it's one of two things here. It's either one, you're a Nazi, or it's two... You are so afraid of alienating your Nazi fans. <laughs> Either way, you suck. Yeah, like that you can't come out and say anything against it. But I'm just like, both of those are really bad, bad. Taylor. Bad. Like, just say you're not a Nazi, bro. Or, and that you don't support it because you have millions of fans. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you to yeah. lose a couple hundred Nazis. <laughs> From buying your music. A couple hundred Nazis. You know what I mean? Or yeah. however many. Like No, I know. I just, I just love you. So, um, you, oh you know, so it's just like, again, once again, I will still listen to Shake It Off when it comes on in my car. Yep. I'm not above any of this. I think that there's a lot of really good stuff with Taylor, and I do think that we will see her grow and become better, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch that trajectory for yeah, her. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully she has the opportunities that John Lennon never did to grow, to be an older woman, to look back on her mistakes and... Uh, be able to talk about it openly, and we right. can learn more about it. Yeah, and I and I and I do have faith that that is. She has shown me that she's capable of growth because yeah. in the beginning she wouldn't even call herself a feminist. No. Like she had to learn. Yeah, she's li- this isn't a woman who, uh, you know, went to college and studied studied like gender dynamics. Like yeah, you know, no. this is a girl who has devoted her life to her career in music and 
is kind of just learning as she goes. And yeah. so I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt when it comes to a lot of things. If you could just do one thing for me, Taylor, and just assure me that you're not a Nazi. Yes! That's basically the that's most it. important thing. Not a Nazi. Because I think she will grow in other ways. Yeah. And as she matures as an adult, I think we we might have the chance to see her try and diversify the music industry and, yeah. and, and do I these hope. things that I'm being critical of her about, you know? But... Um, my mom turned into a cat. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> she did. My mom turned into a cat. Where'd my mom go? M- Matilda stole her chair. <gasps> um, did Matilda she- steal her soul? I think she went to the restroom. Mom? Liz? Oh, no. Now I'm, like, genuinely concerned. <laughs> Liz? Mommy? Are you okay? Did, your- did Matilda steal your soul? She's very concerned because she turned around and Matilda was in your seat. No. no, we're still recording. Oh, um, guys, it's fine. Liz is safe. Oh, that what a relief! Really, <laughs> I was concerned. I was very concerned. Um, okay, so do you have anything else, Mom? Will you here lean over a little bit? Will you sign out with us? Do you oh know my how? God. Do you know when to come in? Ray John, after you say, we encourage you, right? And then who, we both say, we two, all say, we all Ray John. No, we just all say, we all say Ray John. Okay. Yes. Okay. okay, ready? Here, All so right. get, get a little closer to me here. So we've got Liz here to help us with the sign-off. Yeah, this is this is her dream come true. <laughs> All right. So, guys, thank you for joining us this week. Remember to do all the things that we love for you to do. Rate, review, find us on all of the places. Um, yeah, so you can send us emails. Send us your Sister Solidarity stories. Send us your coming out stories. Uh, just if you want to chat with us, go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist or on Twitter at um, Yamf, Yamf podcast. podcast. My God. Y A N F podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys, so much. And with that, we encourage you to rage on. Good job, Mom. <laughs> Bye, guys. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.